1 Kings chapter 21, going through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. 1 Kings 21, let's pray. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name for, uh, for just being here, Lord. Being here in a place where we can feed off your word. Your word says that we are your body, the body of Christ. And so we are feeding off of each other as we fellowship. We're feeding off the word as we read and study. And Lord, we need the Holy Spirit. I pray in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, just come upon us this evening, Lord. And feed and nourish your body. Ephesians chapter 5, Lord Jesus, you talk about how you feed and nourish your body, and we are here for that purpose, Lord. We need it. Oh, do we need you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 21. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass... After these things, that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And so this is a, uh, we had just seen last week where uh, Ahab had fought the, uh, the Syrians and uh, he won, uh, but he let the Syrian king Ben-Hadad go free. And uh, nevertheless, there was a significant victory one thing that we said about Ahab, if you remember, he's a very wicked king, but from time to time, something good pops out of him. And you're like, okay, why can't we see more of that? But um, he here, uh, 
in this next chapter, he, he, he had a, a, a brief, brief moment of glory in the, in the last chapter um, of chapter 20 where he just musters up the courage um, after hearing the word from the prophet, a prophet of God, to go and fight the, uh, the king of Syria, who had all kinds of other kings coming um, with him. Uh, but then, you know, towards the end, he, he compromises, he tries to, uh, uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't kill uh, Ben-Hadad, uh, a man who had been responsible for enormous amount of, of, uh, of pain and death and, uh, and who, who no doubt had uh, created many widows uh, in the land by slaying men in Israel. Uh, and here we see a, a, a sharp downturn, uh, another sharp downturn in the life of Ahab here in chapter 21. And this is a fascinating chapter to me because um, it involves really just, it involves the murder of one man and stealing of a vineyard from one man. And it's always been curious to me with all the wickedness in the land of Israel. I mean, uh, you have Jezebel uh, killing many, many prophets all over the land. You have, uh, you have um, all kinds of, of crimes going on. Why a whole chapter dedicated to the murder of one man and also theft from the man as well. He's, he's going to steal his, his vineyard. And it, it, and it really uh, does speak to how just God is holy. Um, he is a holy God, and uh, he, he is really serious about uh, this kind of stuff. And he is not like the gods of, of, of other lands. Uh, you will see here in verse Seven. It says, Jezebel, his wife, said to him, you now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. Uh, she came from a king, not of Israel, but uh, the king of Sidon, which was a, a pagan country. And at that time, uh, a country that outside of Israel, the whole country existed just for the pleasure of the king. The king did whatever the king wanted to do. If the king wanted a piece of land, he got it. If, if, the, if the king wanted a woman, he got the woman. It, and, and so she, she can't understand uh, why he's so upset that this Israelite, uh, uh, this one Israelite by the name of Naboth, oops, something went a little awry there with the sound. Uh, this one Israel by the, uh, Israelite by the name of Naboth uh, is saying, no, no, I'm not going to let you, Ahab, have my, have my land. She can't figure, like, wait, what, what's going on here? She doesn't realize. She, see, she didn't grow up like the Israelites were, where there was actually law and order, uh, the, the law of Moses, that there was actually laws about this stuff. Um, but... Uh, he, so here you have this man who uh, has the misfortune of having a beautiful vineyard right next to the king's palace. And, uh, you know, Naboth is, is looking at this incredible vineyard and he's like, I want somewhere to have a vegetable garden. And this, 
this place is right next to my palace. And uh, he, he's, he's coveting. Now, uh, in counseling, it, it's it, one thing that I've learned is, is, that is real important uh, week to week. When, when someone comes to me and they have a particular sin in their life, I go right to the commandment of God and, or the word of God, and I, I talk about what the sin is. In this particular t- case, the 10th commandment says what? You shall not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's, uh, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything else that is your neighbor. And so here's this guy, he's, he's coveting uh, the, this piece of land next to the, next to the palace uh, and he can't have it. Now, uh, he asks, you may say, well, I mean, if the king comes along and asks you for your land, uh, shouldn't you say yes? Uh, Naboth says to Ahab in, in verse three, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. What is very unusual about this that we may not realize is that you don't just give up your land when you're a Jew who has uh, gone in and by lot, the whole, the, 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 the whole land was given by lot to, to various people. Um, shockingly, and this is a world that we don't really understand as Americans, in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23, it says, the land shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine. It was really, really uh, selling your land really is something that you only did when you became bankrupt or something. Again, this is a law. This is an actual law in Leviticus. The land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. For you are strangers and sojourners with me, and in all the land your possession you shall grant redemption um, of the land. And that says in verse 25 of chapter 25 of Leviticus, if one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possession, and if redeeming if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Uh, but if, it, if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of Jubilee. And, it, and in, the, in the Jubilee, he shall be released and he shall return to his possession. Meaning, not only was it, was it looked down upon to sell your land, um, but if you did sell it because you became impoverished, it came back to you. Every 50 years, there was what's called the year of Jubilee, which is really a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ in which all our debts are released because Jesus paid for it. All the land went back to the, its original possessor. Now, this is... Um, it, 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 it says in verse 30, it, it, this is fascinating to me. Uh, commentators generally say that here, is, you see the wisdom of the Lord here, that um, he doesn't want a few oligarchs, is one of the terms, really, really rich people just going in and buying up the whole land. That doesn't look like the nation of Israel. That looks like the nation of, I don't know, Mordecai, Isaac, and Abraham, or whoever else are the really rich people buying up all the land. 
He, God's, always, God's protecting the poor here. There, and, and so there's just a, a wisdom there here that is actually astonishing, uh, which is utterly unique in the world at the time. It's even unique in the world today, obviously, that the Lord wants it, the, he wants it the nation of Israel. He doesn't want it the nation of just a handful of people. So every 50 years, the year of Jubilee, all the land was returned to the original possession. And you weren't supposed to sell it in the first place, but you could if you became impoverished. And so uh, it's interesting. In the, in the, there was one time, in, at least one time, Hawaii at one time, uh, the, the, what's I- ironic was that um, Hawaii was, uh, of course, there was the original Samoan, the, the Hawaiians related to the people of Samoan and things in the Polynesian blood. But then missionaries came and settled the land. And then the, relative, the descendants of the missionaries became fabulously wealthy. They, that's what dole pineapple and all that stuff. And they bought up the whole land. Uh, just a, a, a handful of people. And there actually was a land distribution in Hawaii. I don't know how long ago it was because the courts realized this is incredibly, this has created something incredibly unstable here. I mean, usually that's like, oh, it's like communism, socialism. No, oh, what, what's going on here? But the, the, that when just a few people own the entire land, that's a really, really bad thing because it's a recipe for oppression of the people. So Naboth says, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, he, says, uh, he says, the Lord forbid that I should give it to you. In other words, this is actually the law of Moses, Ahab. Of course, Ahab does not care about the law of Moses. And so um, he goes in and this really uh, shows you tells you a lot about his character here. He, he sulks uh, in front of his wife. It says at the end of uh, verse 4, he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. It's like, oh, I didn't get my land. I can't believe it. I'm so bummed out. Um, in verse 5, it says, Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so sullen that, he, um, that you eat no food? Uh, and then he says to her the reason, and she said, listen, I'll get you the vineyard. And so here she goes, and this is why she, one of the reasons she's called really, really um, evil. Let's, let's see what she does in verse 8. She, she tells Naboth, I'll get you the land. So in verse 8, she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letter saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. In other words, just a big setup to have this guy framed and killed. I mean, this is really wicked stuff. Verse 11, so the men of the city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city did as Jezebel had sent to them and it was written in the letters which she had sent to them. And so here you see the moral, M-O-R-A-L, climate of the land in that day where you have the elders, verse 11, and the nobles of the city cooperating. They know full well but they're fearful of this extremely powerful woman. 
and they buy into this. They agree to this plan to uh, frame this guy and kill him. Verse 12, they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people. And then two men, scoundrels, came in and sat down before him and the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth in the presence of the people saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Now, another thing in the law of Moses, what if you blaspheme God, you were put to death. Thank God, by the way, Jesus Christ said he fulfilled all those laws from the Old Testament. Only the moral, M-O-R-A-L, laws um, carry over into the New Testament. There were many laws specific to the nation of Israel, this, this ancient um, people that, um, that, that, that carried over. It says they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Verse 14, then they sent to Jezebel saying, Naboth has, has, stoned, has been stoned and is dead. And it came to pass when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, that Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. So uh, this is some kind of wife. Uh, she really delivers, uh, doesn't she? Um, so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Saying, arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who lives in Samaria. There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, thus says the Lord, have you murdered and and also taken possession? Note there, it, it, it charges, um, God is charging Ahab of murdering. Just like when God told David, you murdered Uriah the Hittite, the, um, the man that um, was the husband of, of, of Bathsheba who... He got Bathsheba pregnant, tried to cover up, didn't work. So he sent um, Uriah right up to the front lines in hopes that the enemy would kill him so he could cover up the whole thing. And then David, Nathan came to David with the word of the Lord, you killed Uriah. Same thing here. You murdered Naboth. And so uh, you can't, stick your head in the sand and get away with anything uh, with God. God knows uh, he's the king. God knows Ahab's the king. He he's ultimately knows what's going on. And if you're knowing what's going on and you have, um, you have uh, power to stop it, you're guilty of sin. James says, if you know something that you're supposed to do, but you don't, you're guilty of sin. So the middle of verse 19 the Lord said to Elijah, the prophet, you shall speak to Ahab saying, thus says the Lord in the place where the dogs lick the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. So apparently they had just thrown Naboth out to be eaten by dogs. Verse 20, so Ahab said to Elijah, have you found me, O my enemy? 
So here he is. His, uh, he, he hates the people of God. He's his enemy. Calls him his enemy. And Elijah answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, one of the, um, one of the names of God is Jehovah Roi. Jehovah Roi, which means the Lord sees me. The Lord sees me. Now, that was given, that name of the Lord was um, in connection with Hagar, who had been sent away by Sarah, and, and she had her son Ishmael. She thought she was going to die, and all of a sudden the Lord provides, and, and, she, and, and she knew him as Jehovah Roi, the God who saw her need. But God also, not only does he see our needs, he sees our sin, when we sin in private. And so um, it, 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 it says that he has... Um, he, it says, and he answered, he says, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity and will cut off Ahab, every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dog shall eat Jezebel by the, wa- by the wall of Jezreel. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall um, eat whoever dies in the field. So this is like a crazy thing, uh, a, a prophecy here in the Old Testament. You know, you killed Naboth, you threw him out, and here's an honorable man. He's eaten by, by dogs, and the birds come in. Well, the same thing's going to happen to all your posterity. Verse 25. But there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Uh, if, if, you're, if you have a pen, underline this. Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. So there you see a little... You see, you see what was really wrong with him. Ahab was a guy, I'm convinced, if he had a really, really noble and virtuous wife, he probably would have been that. Uh, more, at least much more noble and virtu- virtuous. He was, he was just one of these guys who had no backbone, backbone uh, did whatever his evil wife ter- uh, told him to do. And he had, met, he had married this woman, again, who was a king of a pagan nation, but he was also a, her father was also a priest of, uh, of, of, of Baal and Ashtara. And, and, uh, and she's, she's a wicked woman. So this is, you, see the, you see the inner workings of the house here. The real problem with Ahab is he allowed himself just to be manipulated by his wife, Jezebel. Verse, um, verse 26, and he behaved very abominably in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So you remember when way, way back uh, uh, with, uh, under Abraham, God told Abraham, this land is going to be given to your descendants, but the sin of the Amorites, when the sin of the Amorites comes to its fullest, which will not be for 400, 450 years. Uh, and, and so... Uh, 
God was just that's the long suffering nation uh, nature of, of, of the Lord. He's he's waiting till the the people of the land were so sinful that he was going to send Israel in to displace them. But the point that is being made here is that Ahab has become as wicked as the people who lived in the Canaan before the Israelites came in. And so uh, verse 28 says, rather verse 27 says, this is rather shocking. It says, so it was when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. What in the world is this? This is, this is Ahab who is repenting here. And, and here's just, this is so amazing to me. Verse 28 says, And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days in the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Now, I got to tell you, as much as any section of scripture in the Bible, this speaks to the character of God. That if someone comes to him, anyone, regardless of how evil, he will have mercy. If they're coming to him with brokenness and, 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 and honest repentance of all people, Ahab, and, and, and I get this scene, I can't prove that this is happening, but it says, it, 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 it says in verse 28, the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, look at how Ahab has humbled himself, so I'm gonna hold off the judgment against him. I just get this picture like, Elijah's like, what? You have got to be kidding me. Kind of like, you know, kind of like uh, Jonah, when uh, doesn't want to go to the Nineveh because he knows that God is a merciful God. And he, when Jonah is, when God has mercy on Nineveh and, and Jonah is sulking and God says, why are you sulking? He goes, well, I knew you were a merciful God. I knew you. And so uh, people who really know the Lord know that he is a merciful God. He's a merciful God. I love the, um, I, I, li- uh, I love the uh, verse in, in, in Micah chapter seven, verse 18, it says, who is a God like you, it says, who does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. He delights in mercy. And, and it, it sounds kind of strange saying it, but it's true in a very real, God is bound by his own character. And, and that means that anybody who comes to him Anyone who comes to the Lord, uh, in, in, in a sense, he's bound to act consistent with his character. He's never going to act inconsistent with his name. In, in, in Exodus chapter 34, it says, The Lord descended in a cloud over Moses and proclaimed his name. And what was his name? Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. And, and, and so what that means is that if someone comes to the Lord and they have an honest heart of brokenness before him, he will give them mercy. He will extend mercy. He'll have a visitation of, um, of, of mercy. And, uh, and, and so if we 
we learn that anywhere, it is certainly here in the book of 1 Kings chapter 21. Just a shocking, shocking um, demonstration of the Lord's mercy of all people. Ahab, I'm memorizing Psalm 25. Uh, I'm re-memorizing, actually. I memorized it years ago and I forgot it. But uh, it, it's just such a wonderful... It's, it's a wonderful psalm because it, 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 it speaks to this very thing about the mercy of God. Uh, David says, according to... It, actually, what he says is this. Do not remember the sins of my youth. This is Psalm 25, 7. Nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. And then he says in verse 11, for your name's sake. Remember his name is, his name is goodness, kindness, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, merciful. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. So, so he knows, David knows the character, the name of the Lord. And, and, and he under, he's a man who understands that God is essentially bound by his character of, of, of who he is. And he says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. It's a, a, a real great verse on understanding the character of God. So David was a guy who could actually be used by God even after great sin. And that's a, that's a remarkable sin. As, as, as bad as his sin had been, he was able to accept the fact that God is merciful and he forgives sin. And once he forgives sin, you can go out and continue to serve the Lord. Um, we were on noon prayer today and just talking about, uh, we thought not actually, we were praying about, just there's two things, uh, which is the, uh, often, which is the reason why people uh, don't pray. One is complacency but the other is shame. One is complacency, the other is shame. Complacent, well, yeah, I'll get around to, pl- to praying. I know Ephesians 6 says I'm supposed to pray always. Yeah, well, that's just for the spiritual people. Uh, actually, that's not true, but um, it's for everyone. But then the other thing is shame. When, when you know that you've sinned and you just have shame to really go to the Lord, and pray. Even you've asked for forgiveness. Well, what that says is, if, if, if you're that person, and believe me, I, I, I fall into this sometimes myself. You know, after stumbling and sinning. But the Bible says, if you confess your sin, He's faithful and just to forgive of sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And at that moment, you can go into the throne of grace, asking the throne of the Lord, asking for grace and mercy. Hebrews chapter four. He is a merciful God. God is a merciful God. And I tell you, even Ahab, Ahab of all people. And so I have this idea that he's, he, he says to Elijah here in verse 28, hey, verse 29, look, look, Elijah, Ahab has humbled himself before me. And I, I just have this I, I, idea that Elijah's going, wait, wait, don't look at that. Who, who do you think you are? Do you not realize who this is here? But anyway, um, the Lord says, because he's done this, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. So it will not be until his house won't be wiped out. We will see that Ahab himself 
is going to be judged. He's going to have dogs licking up his blood. But his house, his posterity, his dynasty, whatever it is you call it, will not be wiped out until the next generation. Verse 22. Now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the land of the king of Syria? So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, and my horses as your horses. Now, we're going to see really, really soon here that Ahab has returned to his extremely wicked ways. And Jehoshaphat, for those of you who don't know him, is one of the outstanding uh, characters in the Bible. I, I absolutely love Jehoshaphat. In fact, uh, we will see Jehoshaphat sin greatly by agreeing to do stuff with Ahab, go back to his home in Jerusalem. He's confronted by a prophet and he repents and goes out and, and stirs up like a, a revival of the word of, of God. He's a guy who understood the grace of God. He understood the mercy of God. He's a, a great, great king, and um, it, it, it says here, Jehoshaphat, the king of Israel, went down to visit the king of Israel. By the way, it says went down. He's actually going north, but since Israel is uh, in, a, in a heightened area, anywhere you go from, uh, not Israel, Jerusalem, because Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and it's on a heightened place on a mount, Anywhere, whether south, east, west, or north, was down. So he's, he goes up north, but it says went down to visit the king of Israel. And right there, you're like, what? What, what, what's going on here? Why is Jehoshaphat going to visit the king of Israel? You should be asking that question. And verse 3 says, um, the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you not know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. In other words, they're telling Jeho Ahab is telling Jehoshaphat, hey, that land on the other side of Jordan is Israel's. It was. It belonged to, it was two and a half tribes of Israel occupied that land. The king of Syria had taken over it and it was no longer in the, uh, governed by one of the kings of Israel. And so Ahab says... Now, it was part, it was part of the ten, the 10 tribes to the, to the north. Remember, in the south, there was Judah and there was Benjamin at this time. Uh, and in the north, there were 10 tribes, including the two and a half tribes on the other side of the Jordan. And, uh, and uh, uh, that, that part on the other side of Jordan, again, belonged to Ahab, belonged to Ahab technically, even though the Syrians had, had taken it over. But 
so what, 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 what appears to be going on here is that Ahab had, had called Jehoshaphat up and he's going to try to get his help because Jehoshaphat, being a very good king, the Lord had prospered his army. He had hundreds of thousands of soldiers. There was a lot of wealth now in Jehoshaphat's reign because that's what God uh, did there, uh, promised um, Deuteronomy 28, he promised the, the Israelites if they, if they followed his covenant, he would prosper them. So Jehoshaphat was uh, prospered. And, and he asked Jehoshaphat to come up, apparently, is what appears to have happened. And he does. And he says, oh, by the way, you know, that, that land on the other side of the Jordan, that was taken away. It's ours. It's a great argument. It's a great, great argument. That, you know, that belongs to the land of Israel. Will you not help me? He's going to say, will you not help me um, to, will you help not, not help me get it back? Uh, and Jehoshaphat, he says at the end of uh, verse four, Je- Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. Wrong. That's not true. Jehoshaphat is a man of God. And Ahab is a, a wicked man. He says, I am as you are, my people as your, your, as your people. That's not true. There had been a revival of righteousness in, in the South. It simply was not true that my people are as your people, my horses as your horses. Well, maybe that was the case. But you see, Jehoshaphat had a problem, a problem that, by the way, I myself have. I like people to like me. I, I mean, even, especially like powerful people, it's like, I like when powerful people like me. Oh, that's a really cool thing. And, and, and you know, people have this, this, this issue in, in varying degrees, but uh, this is something that I've always struggled with. I really like people to like me, including like these wicked people. And so when the wicked people come and, oh, that's kind of tempting, you know? They, they, you know, this person is powerful, they're influenced, you know, maybe I should, you know... Uh, become their friend or whatever. And he doesn't. He becomes a friend of Ahab and he agrees to consort with Ahab and, uh, and fight. And, and, and here's the deal. Uh, here's the deal with this. Oftentimes, your life will look really attractive to wicked people because you have the glory of God has settled on you. And so from time to, uh, maybe not oftentimes, but from time to time, you'll have people that they're not godly. They don't care. They hate the word of God. They, they, They resist it. They reject. They will come to you and give you a proposition, a solicitation to, to join them in something, something, because they're looking, you know, I don't agree with, anything that guy believes, but obviously this guy, he's a blessed guy, and so I want to join myself to them. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, do not be unequally yoked with believers. Don't go, uh, rather, with unbelievers, meaning don't enter into some close partnership with a person who you know has no interest interest in following the word of God no matter how attractive it is. This was an attractive argument. That land belongs to us. It did. But even if it's an attractive argument, you got to look at who is giving you the proposition. You don't want to join yourself to someone like Ahab. And, 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 and you, you, got the, you guys got the glory of God on your life. So you got to be careful 
uh, including, by the way, people of the opposite sex. Any of you single people there? And then they'll come to you and, 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 and wow, this, this guy, he's got a, some kind of glory, some kind of real good thing. And, 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 and people who are not saved, unbelievers, a woman will come and, I really like this guy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get him. Same thing the other way around. You know, a woman. And this happens all the time. You know, if you, a, a woman, there's a godliness about them which is very, very attractive to ungodly men. <laughs> Crazily enough, it is. They see in her stability. They see in her a future. They see in her someone who will help them. And, 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 and they'll come in with really tempting propositions. Don't have anything to do with that. But because even good people do. Here you have Jehoshaphat um, do the same thing. Verse six, then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together and about 400 men and said to them, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall, shall I refrain? So he gathers around him a whole bunch of prophets, false ones, I believe pagan prophets, in order to uh, get their direction of whether he should go out to war. Um, with them. In verse, middle of verse uh, six says, so they said, go up for the land will deliver it into the hand of the king. So they say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And these, by the way, these guys are on the king's payroll and they're just telling the king what he wants to hear. So they said, go ahead, yeah, go. It'll deliver into the hand of the king. And then verse seven says, Jehoshaphat says, well, is there not still a prophet of Yahweh here of the Lord? When you see L-O-R-D, all caps, it's Yahweh. L, when it's, when it's L-O-R-D, but the O-R-D is lowercase, it's Adonai, uh, which is, which is a, a different word. But um, here, this is Yahweh. This is talking about the one true living God. And, and, and so Je- Jehoshaphat, I mean, this is kind of comical uh, to me. Uh, he kind of politely, and again, this is the... This is the problem with this kind of personality. Instead of, you know, instead of stopping the process of listening to these 400, how many were there? He gathered how many? Maybe it doesn't give a name, but give a number. But he, he, where's the number? 400, right. So he gathers 400. And instead of saying, Joshua, instead of saying, uh, wait a second here. No, I don't want to hear from any of these guys whether we should go to war. This is the, this is the personality that Jehoshaphat has. He, he doesn't have the guts to just speak up and say, wait a second, uh, I'm not listening to these, these false prophets. They're not prophets of God. They're not prophets of the Lord. The prophets of Baal or whoever they were, Jezebel's prophets, they're on the payroll. And so he's, but, but to his great credit, he says, but is there... Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? You know, I've, I've listened to all these others. And um, then uh, verse 8 says, and so speaking to Dan uh, DeHart about this verse, and he, he, he was saying just, he laughs every time he reads this, verse 8. So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord but I hate him. What's that? It's 8.06. It's 8 o'clock? It's 8.06. 8.06, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, have a, I have one here. Yeah, that clock's wrong again. 
It's 12.15. Wow, I have a long time to preach. Um, or I've gone way over time. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, he says, yeah, there one, there's, one, there's one prophet that still remains, but I hate him. I mean, these are warning signs all over the place for Jehoshaphat. For one, why is there just one prophet of the Lord remaining in, in northern Israel? And two, this guy's telling you he hates this guy? Uh, okay, P- Jehoshaphat, please put on the brakes. I, I know you, you want to be everyone's friend and, and this kind of uh, thing, but uh, put on the brakes, dude. He doesn't. Uh, but anyway, Ahab says, I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Oh, whoa, dude. I mean, I like you and I want to be your friend, but uh, don't be saying you hate God's people. Don't be doing that. Verse nine, then the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micah, the son of Imla, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. So all these guys are just prophesying good things. Yeah, you're going to win this war. You're going to win. You're going to win. You're going to win. That's what you say when, when, you're, when you have no integrity and you're on the payroll. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Never say no, 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 no. Verse 11, now Zedekiah, son of Chinana, hmm, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hands. So they're just prophesying good things. Verse 13, then the messenger who had gone to call Micah spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord, encourage the king. Please let your words be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. D- don't upset. They're having a great time up there. Don't say bad things. Please say encouraging things. Please, please, please. You know, at, at, at 930 prayer on Sunday morning, one of the things that we pray virtually every Sunday is that the Lord would put the in the mouths of everyone preaching the word of God in the Boston area, the offense, the rock of offense, that which offends, because uh, it's so tempting to uh, not give anything, say anything offensive uh, at a pulpit. And and I can't tell you the, the pressure that I feel just not, say anything offensive from the pulpit. But Jesus is called the rock of offense. He said, blessed is anyone who is uh, not offended by me. (laughs) And uh, so it's just so important that uh, we understand that the word of God is offensive to many, but, but, but again, he's like, okay, listen, the king is calling you, Micah. Don't say anything offensive. They're having a real good time. Uh, just tell him something to encourage him. Verse 14, uh, wonderful verse here. Micah says, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Verse 15, then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micah, shall we go to war against Ramath Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into, your, into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, 
How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So apparently what happened here, he's mimicking, Micah's mimicking the false prophets. He's just mimicking them. Oh yeah, do what all your 400 phony prophets who are on your payroll are saying to do. Go to war. Uh, But the king knows integrity. (laughs) He knows integrity when he sees it. And, And again, this is... So often the case with the ungodly, uh, they may have no integrity, but they recognize it when they see it because integrity makes you a lot of money. Uh, so he, he says, would you tell me the truth? And, and so then verse 17, Micah tells him the truth. This is fascinating to say the least. Another one of those buckle your seatbelt uh, before you read this. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? So uh, essentially what he was saying, your army is going to be scattered on the mountains with no shepherd. That's what's going to happen if you go out. So he, he complains to Jehoshaphat. Verse 19, but the the prophet continues. Then Micah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by and on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? In other words, Ahab's time is up. His time is up. The Lord is going to, is it wants him to fall. The Lord's going to strike him down and he's going to do it by the army of Syria. So he's asking this host, it's called this, this host in heaven who are sitting at his throne, who's going to go tell him to go? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, remember Micah is speaking to Ahab. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Uh, nothing like some good high drama here. So it's, uh, some questions arise uh, with this, these verses, to say the least. Uh, uh, for, for one, who is this host of heaven that the, that the Lord is saying, hey, so who wants to go, you know, who, who, who wants to go and uh, essentially persuade Ahab to do something that is um, really against his best interest, meaning lie to him? That's what he's saying. Who are these? Um, well, they, uh, scholars will tell you that they are angels. And I think it does say something about angels. I was talking about these verses with, uh, with, with uh, my family the other day. Uh, it, it speaks to the fact that angels, kind of sort of like humans, they actually have a relationship with God. They're not just robots. They're not just robot, robots who uh, hear something from him. He actually engages in a dialogue with these angels, um, is, is what is going on. And, um, but 
one of them says, I will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Now, what's, what's this about? Why is the Lord doing this? Why would the God encourage lying? The same thing happens in Judges chapter 9. And it is what it is. It, there as it is here, God is doing this in order to hasten the judgment, to bring about the judgment um, of, of the, the children of Israel because of their long-standing wicked behavior, worshiping false gods, worshiping in pagan temples, child sacrifice, ritualized prostitution in temples, and he's hastening their judgment here. And I personally believe this is similar to the book of Job, where who's, who shows up in the court of heaven? Satan. Uh, and I, I, I think if, if, you, if you read the commentators on it, I would agree with the ones that fallen angels um, have access um, to the throne of heaven. And from time to time, there is uh, dialogue um, with the whole host of heaven, including fallen angels. Um, for whatever reason, although they were cast out of heaven um, by the Lord in terms of their role, they still have access. And so uh, a strange doctrine here to many of our ears, the Lord in, in the oddest way, does use the demonic realm to further his agenda, to further goodness, to further mercy. Uh, it, ultimately, it's an act of mercy by judging Israel because without a judgment, they're not going to repent. They're not going to turn to him. Uh, you know, in Revelation 12, verse 7, you see... Uh, a really interesting verse. Uh, it, it says, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, meaning the devil and the dragon and his angels fought. Is that a crazy verse or what? Um, we'll get to that at some point when we read the, uh, go through the book of Revelation, which I did one time. The, the, uh, the, um, the messages are on the website, but um, uh, it says, that Michael and his angels fought with dragon and the dragon and his angels uh, fought. So there's, this, uh, th there's this, this strange scene where there's actually access to the throne of God and there's even a conversation like there was in the book of Job. So anyway, uh, this is what... This is what um, Micah, the prophet, this bold man of God, says to Ahab right in the presence of, you can imagine the pressure on him not to speak out the truth, but he does anyway. And what happens? Verse 24, Zedekiah, the son of Chinana, went near and struck Micah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord uh, go from me to speak to you. And Micah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. That's like a message of judgment. We'll see the fulfillment of, of that later on. So the king of Israel said, take Micah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison, feed him with the bread of affliction, 
and the water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, take heed, all you people. So everyone around who's in my hearing, take heed what I just said. I just said, among other things, that Ahab will never come back in peace and that there will be a great defeat, that the, the army will be scattered. And so um, we will pick up verse 29. We read this astonishing verse here after witnessing all of this. Uh, Jeho- after Jehoshaphat witnesses all this, it says the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of um, Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Jehoshaphat goes anyway. Crazy, 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 crazy. The Lord's going to protect him in um, a, a pretty amazing way. You know, it's one of the wonderful things that when we do real stupid stuff, God still protects us many times. And uh, he's going to protect Jehoshaphat, but and this is a man who definitely had the, the, the I want everyone to like me disease. All these red flags, and he proceeds anyway. But anyway, I, I, love, I love how Micah, before he's dragged off to prison, he says, take heed, all you people. Take heed. You're going to see everything that I said is going to be fulfilled. Kind of like the book of Revelation. Everything you read in the book of Revelation is going to be fulfilled. Okay, let's have a, a, a time of, uh, of prayer at this time. Let's conclude just with a time of prayer. What time is it now? Um, it's 8.20 for 10 minutes. If you guys could um, uh, just uh, gather into groups of four or five to, to pray. And uh, let's, let's just pray for courage during this time, during this season of, uh, in the United States of, uh, of America. Courage to live uh, the word of God and to be uncompromising. This is a wonderful story of this guy, Micah, just being, uh, he's almost like a sole survivor here and um, up in the Northern Kingdom, living strongly by the word. Let's also pray for Mary's mother. She's, uh, Mary Wembu's mother. She's, she's intubated right now. They've given her a 50% chance of living she, um, COVID in Kenya. Uh, and so... I want to pray for her as well. Uh, Dennis, can you strum the guitar, maybe, while people are praying, or would you prefer to pray? I would love to pray. Uh, okay. Yeah. You, can, you, you, you can just, it looks like we don't have a keyboard. Uh, keyboard is here tonight, so uh, I'm just going to close in prayer, and then um, you guys can separate the groups. Father, I just pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, just thanking Thanking you, Lord, for uh, tonight. It, the word of God is like salt. It's, Lord Jesus, you said, don't let your, um, be, be a light to the world. Be as salt. And then, and then you talk about, Lord Jesus, when the salt loses its flavor, it's just thrown out to be trampled on by men. And certainly we will. If we will be trampled on by men. Um, if our salt loses its flavor and how your word of God keeps that, keeps us salty. It just, it preserves it. It does that. And so 
I just thank you for that, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take about 10 minutes to pray at this time.